Hey, Rock Bridge, it is great to be with you today. My name is Alfred Turley. I'm one of our pastors here on staff. And it's a privilege as we continue in the Tangled Up series. Last week, we had part one, and it was an awesome thing. And here's the premise of this whole thing is, is during, especially during the holidays, but, you know, just any time in life, relationships in our lives can get messed up. They can get tangled up. And, you know, I, I think it's especially fitting around the holidays, you know, that we're around people that sometimes we're not, uh, we're not with a lot of times. I mean, there's family members that maybe we haven't seen in a long time. There's people that we get to, that we're around and we spend time with them. And there can just be a lot more tension, a lot more uh, just interesting dynamics that are going on and family dynamics. And, and we all know what this is, but it can just be a lot more stressful. But what's interesting is a lot of these stresses, some, I mean, they can be caused by tangles between us and them or others. Just tangles, misunderstandings, or, or conflict, just, just issues where we don't understand, they don't understand us, and we've kind of got a distance or we've got expectations. There's just hurt feelings. It's just messy. And I've learned this. I mean, family vacations, go on a vacation with a bunch of family members for a week. Some of the same stuff can happen. It just happens, especially during the holidays. And it's our heart to just really get into this and just say, what can we do about it? What would God have us do about it? So last week, Matt kind of unpacked the first part of this where, where I know he said, we need to go vertical before we go horizontal. That we really need to see God's perspective in our relationships and God's perspective in what's going on before we move out, you know, in our fear, in our expectations, whatever's going on, we need to go to God first. And that was a really, really big deal. Today, we're in step two. And step two is having the conversation. Now, I'll be honest with you, when, we, when I say this word, conflict, I bet there's fear and dread in so many of us. You know, it, it, when we talk about having conflict, I know people have just said, I dread conflict, I hate conflict, I can't handle it at all, I don't want to deal with it at all. Conflict is a big deal, and I understand that. It's a big deal. But I always also tell you this, that conflict and having that conversation so often is the very key thing that we need. I mean, I can think about my own personal life. I remember when I had some friends come to me in college and just said, Alfred, you've got to do something about your pride. And I was a very, very arrogant person. But it took those friends coming to me and saying that to me to get my attention. I remember one, my, one day my dad and just came to me and said, Alfred, I've got to, you've got to stop giving excuses for the forgetfulness in your life. And he set me on a course of just saying, I've got to, okay, I've got to deal with this. And then I remember later on in life when I had so many relationship issues that I had a friend just come to me and say, I love you, but you've got commitment issues and I think you need counseling. And that set me on a new path. And I bet that you could point to pivotal moments in your own life of progress where so many times it was because someone cared enough to have a conversation with you, to say something to you. Sometimes it maybe didn't feel like love. Sometimes it was a performance review with a boss or it was a situation. It was just something that came, but all of a sudden you were faced with a reality that you didn't know, but it actually set you on a course to change for the good. 
So let's talk about this because, you know, as we face it, we don't need to face it with fear. We don't need to face it with dread. But how can we do this better? How would God have us do it? What are some things God would say, hey, here's some ways to do this better where, it, where it's going to have more of a chance of not blowing up in our face because that's our fear. Our fear is that we get in there and it's like, it's a, it's a nightmare and people, you know, they're pulling out knives. I don't know, but we just have these fears and we don't want to live that way. So we're going to go into an incredible passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus, uh, where Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. Before, but before I want to go to this, I want to say one more thing about having the conversation. We're in an amazing season approaching Christmas when so many people around us are very, very interested in religious matters, in the gospel. I mean, it gets back to our whole classic Christmas thing that people are interested in the traditions. They're interested in the stuff they grew up with, the, the nostalgia. And they, they care about religious matters during the Christmas season. And open doors are there. So here's the thing is we're praying. We're praying for people on our red cards, people that God would use us to reach. But so many of these situations, the very first step is what? The conversation. So let's get into this. We're going to go into Matthew. Again, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is one of the, one of the four Gospels, the story of Jesus. And we're going to hear from Jesus in a, in a very kind of a harsh passage on what it means to confront and, and deal with relationship tangles. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So you have heard, and Jesus is speaking to the crowds, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And that meant subject to discipline by the community. Most of the time it was penalty was death. But it was subject to the courts of the day under the the law of Moses. Do not murder. It was a command. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And this doesn't necessarily mean the same judgment, but whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court, and whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. And let me just point out, these judgments and courts um, and hellfire, these are, some of our, our scholars are not entirely sure about if they, they all mean the same thing, but what it does mean this, is that we're getting into a point where there's either spiritual and religious court systems that are going to step in, but definitely when we get to hear the court and hellfire, we're talking about God's courts, heavenly courts, spiritual courts, spiritual legal proceedings that are happening that we're getting involved in. And Jesus is saying, you don't want to be involved in these. Let me, let me say this, though. I want to explain this because we have, a, we have a understanding about the word of judgment that I think is not necessarily correct. Now, we, we fear judgment, and there's a degree. That, that's actually that's wise for us to fear judgment. But let me explain what judgment actually is. Judgment, even with God, is when the facts are examined for truth and correction for evil or vindication is given for good. 
But the facts are examined. Truth is exposed. Because some of us, we've been to court. Maybe something happened. We had to go to court. And there were times where, you know what? We were proclaimed innocent or proclaimed that we were, we were not the, the victim or whatever. We were proclaimed, you know, maybe we won the court case or not. Whatever it is. But that truth is examined. And either punishment for wrongdoing, for evil, or vindication for good is issued. So judgment is not necessarily bad. But we just need to understand that when we're under judgment, the circumstances are outside of our control. We're, we're in the hands of others. And that's what we hope. Like, obviously, when Jesus said, those who commit murder, we hope the court system step in. We hope they get involved and get in the middle of that and that there's punishment for those who have wrongly committed murder. I mean, there's actions where people are killed. That's not murder. But if real murder, we hope there's punishment. We want that in our earth, we want, uh, in our governments. We want justice. But Jesus is taking this to a totally new level for us. You see, we are extremely quick in our conflicts, in our misunderstandings with people, in our relationships with people. We are extremely quick to judge them. We are extremely quick to issue our own verdict. Think about how this sounds. He's such a jerk. He's so arrogant. She's so self-centered. I can't believe she would do that. I can't believe she didn't think about me. I can't believe she, she would handle it that way. I can't believe that they did that. They're such an idiot. What? I can't believe. You know, I'd love to say, you know, you know bless their heart. You know, we say that in the South. But we, we issue judgments against people. We say these things. And in all honesty, we, we haven't taken the time. We're not like a court proceeding. We don't know the exact truth. But we go this way so fast. And Jesus is actually saying, when we go that way, when we get to a place of anger, and I would say that this is unrighteous, undeserved anger, because we haven't really processed it. When we get to this place against our brother or sister, God's telling us, you know what? We're at risk. There's some things, some heavenly recourse that we're coming against. Jesus warns us that unrighteous anger and judgments are dangerous and put us at the risk of God's correction. Now, obviously, Jesus said, Jesus said, or, or, or we see in the New Testament even that in, in the book of 1 John, that anger that would result in murder if left unchecked. If our anger is so extreme, like hate, hate is actually measured in the equivalent of murder in the, in the spiritual, the eyes of God. If we hate our brother that much, God's saying it's, you might as well would have murdered him or killed him. And Jesus is raising the standard. He's telling us God's standard is higher than what you think it is. God is looking at your heart. He's not just looking at what the actions that spilled out. He's looking at your heart. And just because you, you insult them and you call them a fool and all these things, God's saying you've moved to a place of unrighteous anger and judgment and you better watch out because you're at risk of me stepping in and correcting you. And that's not where we want to be. Look, anger and judging are normal. They really are. We're going to get angry. In fact, anger in itself is not a sin. That's not wrong. But we've got to understand what, what's going on here. Is that it's supposed, it's designed to motivate us to fix the situation. Not to step back 
and withdraw and erect barriers between us. Our desire should be innocence before the heavenly courts. Innocence before God. That should be our desire. That should be our motivation. King David said in Psalm 26, he said, Search me, O God. He said, Judge me, Lord, and vindicate me. See if there's anything wicked inside of me. Look inside of me, God. You see, God's judgments, actually, we can say as a child of God, we can say, God, would you judge me? Correct me. God, I don't want to have evil inside of me. I don't want to have the wrong thing inside of me. Would you, would you look inside of me and correct me? Free me, heal me. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful prayer for us. So to a degree, God's judgments are not to be feared necessarily. In many ways, they're to be desired. But we certainly should take all of God's judgments with a degree of holy fear and awe. Again, anger and judging are normal, but they're very weighty. It's a big deal when we move to judgment and unrighteous anger against others. We should want to be innocent before God in our hearts at all times. And most of the situations we get so angry about, let me, I, I can tell you this, when we get so mad, we've had an argument with somebody at work or there's an, a, something with a spouse or a kid or whatever's going on in our life, I guarantee, I don't see many of us going, going into that, you know, leaving the argument for a moment and walking out and going, God, I just had this argument. Would you reveal the truth to me? Show me what's really going on. Show me what's happening here. That, that, I mean, that does happen, but it's a lot rarer than we think or than you might think. Most of us are walking out again just going, that jerk, I can't believe how selfish they are. I can't believe they would do this. I can't believe, what are they thinking? The idiot, what is going on here? That's where we go first. And Jesus is warning us about this. Unresolved anger and judgment also shows us something. We don't understand our salvation. And when Jesus said that about you, full, or, or said that you're in danger of hellfire, when our hate, when our anger, when our unresolved judgments grow and just get into bitterness, we need to understand something. If we're going to let them go that way, we have totally forgotten that Jesus has saved us, that he purchased our sins on the cross, and we have sinned far more against him, I guarantee, than this person has sinned against us. Far more. And so for us to move in this level of hate and bitterness and unforgiveness is to totally forget our own salvation in the cross. And I would say to you now, if we get in that place, the Bible is clear, the, the New Testament, Jesus and the, the New Testament teachers, the Word of God is clear that we need to examine ourselves and even go, am I, am I a Christ follower? Am I a Christian? Am I saved? Because if I will let that level of heart condition get inside of me, how can, I, how can I say I love Jesus? How can I say He's my King? How can I say He's my Lord if I will let that take root inside of me? So that's so key for us. So huge. So now, based on what we've just seen, as we're looking at having the conversations, I'm going to go through the next few minutes and just give you about seven steps, seven things to help you help, that have helped me have the tough conversations with people and then be the kind of, you know, the fruitful and, and come out with a way we want God or that we know God wants them to come out. So here's our first one. We have to let go of our judgments. 
We just have to let go of them. Listen, 90% of these hard conversations, these hard situations, we don't fully understand what's going on. And we're making assumptions. We don't, and and I can't tell you how many times I've had situations where I've gone in, even with with people that I was working with and we had to have a hard conversation. And I can tell you 90% of the time there was a level of misunderstanding. Sometimes total and dramatic misunderstanding. Or mistakes. Just sometimes the wrong word was said. Oh, I didn't know I said that. I thought I said something else. I can, can't tell you how often these things are misunderstandings. We've got to let go of our judgments. We've got to let go of this. This is why Jesus tells us not to judge people. We can't see their hearts. We don't know what's going on. Now, sometimes they're not misunderstandings. But even what's going on in their heart or in their life. I mean, just recently, I, I really goofed up with a couple of our staff members. And it, I can honestly tell you, I was having a terrible day. It was a terrible day. And I reacted so poorly. And I had to apologize. But it, I, as I look back, it was, I should, first of all, I should let myself get into that bad of a situation with some other issues. And then when I had these stressful things coming at me, I should have just run for the hills and not responded because I was just having a bad day and it all just came out and it was bad and it was all my fault. And I was really happy they dealt with me with amazing levels of grace. So we have to let go of our judgments. There's misunderstandings. And I want to tell you this. I, I, I heard this recently. We have opinions about people, about things. We have opinions. God does not have opinions. God's right. That's not an opinion. God, God knows and is, he's the truth. When God says this is the way it is, it's not an opinion. It's the truth. It's the facts. So we don't need to be leaning on our understanding, our opinions. We need to be going to God and saying, God, show me what's really going on here. Or approaching these situations with a level of humility. One of the things we say here at Rockbridge uh, with our staff are just to help with conflict and the hard conversations is to say, Hey, let's have a help me understand conversation. Help me understand. And, and I, I, I know it when a staff member comes to me or one of my coworkers comes and says, Hey, Alfred, can you, can you help me understand what happened here? I know that they're, trying, they're saying, Hey, look, this, this kind of hurt me. Can we talk through this? Because I don't understand. Or, or just maybe a misunderstanding. But that's a powerful tool. Let go of our judgments. Have help me understand conversations. And then next... We have to restrain our anger. I'm, I'm telling you. There it is. We have to restrain our anger. Um, anger is not, again, anger is not a sin. It's not wrong. But what we do with it is so important. And you can't vent your anger at someone. I want to I encourage you, get rid of your fighting words. You know, we go into... And I've learned this a long time ago that we go, into, we go into fights and we go into these conflicts and we'll go in and go, I am so mad at you. I am so frustrated at you. That really ticked me off. That just frustrated me. I, you know, I can't believe you did that. And honestly, we're going and going, I am ready to rumble. Let's go. I'm coming at you. We're coming and, and we've got our defenses up and we're just like, I am ready for this. Let's go. I'm, and I've prepared. I've been planning. I've been praying. I've been thinking, I am ready to rumble. And that is totally the wrong approach. Because here's the thing. If we will acknowledge what's really happened here, we're actually hurt. 
And I finally figured this out one day in working with, honestly, with men at Shaw. Uh, it, it, I, had, you know, I had a team of mechanics uh, and, at this one specific plant. And I had a team of mechanics and it was a fairly big team. And, and I had a lead mechanic and, and I worked with him and, and I was responsible for leading this team. But this lead mechanic, um, he and I were very close, good friends. But one day we were in a meeting and there was like 15 of us and I was having to lead the meeting and say some things. And this guy just turned on me in the middle of the meeting in front of all the mechanics and just kind of threw down on something I was saying and a direction we were having to go in. And he just kind of threw me under the bus. And, and uh, those of us have been in you know, any kind of corporate setting, we know you can't really do that. And uh, we, can, we just can't do that at all. We've got to support those that, that, are, that are in authority with us. We, we've got to support them. That's God's will. But I, I took a different approach. Right after it happened, I, I ended the meeting pretty quickly. And I pulled him into my office and I said, and I looked at him I, and, and he, he was, I could tell he was geared up and ready to go. And I said, look, what just happened in there? Man, you're my friend. You just threw me under the bus. You're my, I, I thought you were my friend. Dude, man, that hurt. You, I mean, you hurt my feelings. Let me tell you what happened right then. All this defensive posture just dropped. And he dropped his head down. And he just, and he said, man, I'm sorry. And I will tell you right now, the people that we're having these arguments with or these disagreements with or these tangles with, we're called to love them. We're called to have a relationship with them. Not fight with them. Not, build, not, not have a boxing match with them. Let's drop our fighting words. Let's acknowledge what this really is. It's hurt. And if we'll say that, say, man, I'm not, I'm not here to fight you. I'm not here to say, I'm ticked off, I'm mad, I'm angry. Let's just acknowledge it. You know what? What you did really hurt. I don't, I don't want to be a part. I don't want to be this way with you. Can we talk about this? If you have that really hurt conversations, that hurt my feeling conversations, I've learned this is way, it just really helps. It helps us have more productive, you know, it gets to the point. Instead of getting into a fight. So let's go ahead and go into verse 23. We're going to pick up where Jesus left off. So now he says this after talking about judgment. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So mind you, this is, this is in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. You would be going up to the temple and offering your gift on the altar. A burnt animal, a sacrifice, whatever a gift is. And then you rem- you're standing there. And some people, and that's some of his audience at the time, would be Galileans. And this means that when they traveled to Jerusalem, they, I mean, this was a multi-day journey to the temple to offer their gift and sacrifice. So catch the dramatic nature of this statement. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Now, this is dramatic right here. This is a big deal for Jesus to state this level of of what we need to do when we realize someone's got something against us and that there's something wrong between us and that that we have left undealt with, that we had the power to do something about. Jesus is saying, this is a big deal. Leave your gift 
And all his crowd was going, you're cra- I mean, leaving my gift and going three days back or four days back to Galilee and then going, whatever that is, Jesus is saying, this is a big deal. They caught, they caught that. But we need to realize this, and that this is our third step in conflict. Realize this affects our relationship with God as much as theirs. If this affects our relationship with God. You see, Jesus... Jesus said this so clearly. He said, when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, let's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say the greatest commandment is offer the right sacrifices and give the right gifts. He said, love your neighbor and love your God. Love your God first, but love your neighbor next. And we see in the New Testament, we see in John, when when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he said, you want to know how the world's going to see you and me? Love people. You want to see what's going to change the world? Love people. And that's more important than all the gifts and offerings. And Jesus actually had had a discussion with a Pharisee about the the most important commandment. And the Pharisee acknowledged at the end, he said, you're right. Loving God is more important than, and loving your neighbor is more important than all the sacrifices and all the other laws. That's what he said. So we realize now that this love, our relationship with these other people and our opportunity to show them love, and in many ways in a case of an offense, we haven't loved them. We haven't dealt with it. He's saying this is vastly more important than any religious thing you could do. That coming to church and reading your Bible and praying. You need to deal with these things fast. Realize this affects our relationship with God. We cannot separate our relationship with God from our relationships with others because God loves them as much as he loves you and me. And if I've hurt someone else or I know that they're offended with me, God takes that very seriously. And that is now something God is holding against me. I was uh, probably in my late 20s, and I was living, I was at home, and uh, my mom and I were in the kitchen one morning. My dad was upstairs, I think it was up in our attic, and, um, and my mom and I were having a pretty serious discussion, and it got kind of heated, and, and I was brought up where I never raised my voice or talked disrespectfully to my mother, and most of you, I mean, I know a lot of people have raised that way, but I did not, we didn't, we never raised our voices to our parents, ever, and so I, I was... Maybe, I don't know. I was older. I was feeling a little, dip, you know, froggy, whatever. And I said, um, the, I said, I started having a heated discussion with my mother. And my, my voice got elevated a little bit. Well, all of a sudden, I heard my dad's steps. I heard, doom, 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 as he was moving very quickly across the upstairs. And then I heard, doom, 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 as I heard him coming downstairs. And then, And he quickly whisked into the room with me and my mother, and he just glared at me. And and I realized my my conflict with my mother had now become a conflict with my father. Because he loves her and loves me, and he's not going to stand by with us with me treating her that way. And that is what happens with us and God in our relationships. 
When we, we've got brothers and sisters, God died for them. He loves them and we have these conflicts with them. He cares about their spiritual condition and the pain that maybe we have caused them, the pain we've caused each other. He cares. And so now it's, he's in it. It affects our relationship too. We must speak the truth in love. Now I want to say this love, this is not love, this is not an emotion. This is an action. This is a choice we make to love someone else and to do what is good and right for them even if it costs us something. That's what love is. And we have to love people. We have to look at this. We have to look at our conflict, look at our tensions, look at our tangles through the lens of love. And let's do that right now. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, the famous, I, I, you know, I, I get the privilege of doing weddings and so often I get to read this passage but I, I sometimes wonder, do we, do we actually read this and we think about what it means for our lives? So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, the lens of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's an incredible love. That is an incredible thing. You see, here's what happens when, when we look through the lens of love. We bring people hope. We actually begin to say, you know what? You've hurt my trust. And it's going to have to be rebuilt. But I know I've got to be willing. And you know what? We, maybe we've hurt each other in here. But I know that we have to repair this. I know that I have to bear with this. I know that I've got to be patient. I know that I've got to be kind. I know that I've got to believe better about you and me and our future together. I've got to believe better. I've got to hope and believe that this can be restored. That's what the lens of love should say to us. I, I think it's incredibly important. I, you need to hear this. Satan brings the truth without love. The enemy brings the truth in your life without love. He says, you're right. You have totally messed this up. You have totally failed. You have totally botched it. You have totally messed up your integrity. You were lazy. You were unrighteous. You were wicked. Whatever. He said, you're right. Absolutely. He is the accuser. And he accuses us. And so often he's telling the truth. But he leaves out love. You see, God comes to us. The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, Yes, you messed up. And you did the wrong thing. But I can help you. And there's hope for this. And yes, maybe you did this, but it doesn't have to stay this way. Yes, maybe, maybe you messed this up. Maybe you lied. Maybe you cheated, whatever. But you know what? I can help you get through this. You may have to pay some consequences, but I'll get you through this. Because I love you and I have hope for you and I can help you overcome. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what love and hope says. That's what Jesus says. Satan comes without love. He comes with the truth without love. We need people to come and say, I believe in you. I hope in you. I know that we can get through this together. 
I'm fighting for this. That's what we need to hear. Let's continue on as Jesus continues in the passage in Matthew verse 25. He says this, right, and again, this is right after the other verse. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. Again, now we're into the court system. And the judge to the officer. And you will be thrown into prison. I truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. I think this is so huge for us to understand here. Things rarely get better when we avoid them. And we are at risk of both earthly and heavenly correction when we do. I can't think of a situation that time really healed. I, I mean, there's because there, to me what really happens is the wound just kind of gets becomes like a thing and scar tissue gets around. It just scars up. But that wound, that pain never really completely goes away. It never really seems to completely go away. And I've had people that came to me years and years later and said, hey, I'm sorry about something. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that healed something inside of me. We need to deal with things immediately. Go after them fast. Not doing something. And this is so huge. Think about this. When someone has not done something and have not come to you, and later they came to you, like maybe years later, or even months later, who knows, but after a long time, they came to you and said, hey, I just finally got to talk to you about this. And you're going, why didn't you come to me sooner? I didn't know I did that. I had no idea. You know, and it, maybe it was a misunderstanding. Here's what, here's what happens when we delay. It is incredibly devaluing. The longer we go, the more it communicates, you don't matter to me. Think about that. You don't matter to me. Because if I believed in you, if I trusted you, if I thought, I mean, there's times I've had conflicts and I'm going, this has got to be a misunderstanding because I know him and this is not his heart. This must be a misunderstanding. So I went to him and sure enough it was. But when someone later comes to me and says, man, I've just had this thing and you did this and it's really hurt me. And I'm going, how could you believe I would think that way? How could you believe that I would think that way about you? I'm hurt now because you waited so long and that you actually thought that way about me. Deal with things immediately. It's very, very devaluing when we don't. And then I want you to understand something too. As, as we're talking about the judges, and that, that whole court thing of going with your adversary to court and you want to get things done beforehand. It is so much more important. So much more important that we work things out together then we let outside authorities get involved. Because here's the thing. Judges and outside authorities cannot heal relationships. Your boss, if you get into it with a coworker and you guys don't, don't fix it, your, your boss can't fix it. He can only do damage control. That's all they can do. 
judges and courts and all, and our bosses and authorities, all they can do is damage control. When my kids get into it, I can't heal their wound. I can't heal them. I can only put some, some buffer in between them as damage control to keep them from hurting each other further or, or cause the, escalation, the thing to escalate. Judges and outside authorities can't heal relationships. Only myself, only me and the other person can. And that's what God wants. So when we let things get to the point where they have to step in, we've lost Don't do that. Don't let it get to that place. Number six, be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to say we're sorry. Be willing to take responsibility for what's going on, to admit fault. Who knows what happened? I don't know. There's times things have happened. All all of a sudden, I was like, oh, you're right. I did say that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. I did say that. Or, um, you know, you sent the email that said this. Oh, I am so sorry. I did. Oh, wow, I goofed. Take responsibility and be prepared that you probably did something wrong. Something that could have been done better. Be willing to suffer for your enemy or adversary, for whatever's going on. Be willing to suffer. You know, Jesus told us, he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, a lot of us don't necessarily have strong enemies. But I guarantee we've got people in our lives that there's tension with. Or you know what? I'll tell you right this. There's some, God's had me praying for my enemies lately. Just setting my heart to pray for them. I'm like, well, God, I don't really know who my enemies are. And I, 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 through this, I realized, you know what? If you put me in a room with certain politicians, certain celebrities, certain Supreme Court justices, and we started having a frank and honest discussion, they would very quickly assume... I'm their enemy when it comes to what I believe is good and right for our culture and our country. They would be my enemies. So God was like, you know, so so in this time, and Jesus said, pray for your enemies. So in my prayer time, I was like, I'm going to start praying for any name, for names of people that I know that if I were in the room with them and I was having some sort of, and and, and my opinions came out and, and having a conversation with them, they would quickly assess I'm their enemy. And I'm going to start praying for him because I want my heart to be soft toward everyone and especially my adversaries. And I want to be ready to suffer for them because I want to reach them with the incredible love of Jesus Christ. They are worth our love. They are worth our effort. They are worth our prayers. And so so many of the people in our lives that, that we're distant from, that there's conflict with, they're worth it. So let's be ready to sacrifice. Finally, pray and leave the results to God. You need to understand this. If if anything should come out of this, you ought to get the picture that God is very, very for fixing relationships. He's very, very for you healing things between you and other people. He's very, very for this. And this is what I know. When God is for it, I can pray and believe that his grace and his power and his mercy is coming in to change it, to help me. Believe it and pray it and take that step in faith knowing he's with you. Now, the truth of it is, it may not go well, but I promise you, it will always bear fruit. It will accomplish something. 
And then finally, when people reject the truth spoken in love, if you've done your part, when people reject this truth spoken in love, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected God. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is love. God is love. When they reject the truth spoken in love, they've rejected God. And you've done your job and you've done all you can do and you've loved them. And they'll know that. I wish we could say it works every time, but it doesn't. But I will say this, it will bear the fruit that it needs to. And it will be what needs to happen. And God will use it. And you have been obedient. And you have been faithful. And God will bless you. God's call to us is to pray for our enemies. To pray for those who persecute us. To love those around us. And especially love those that we have conflict, differences, whatever it is with. He's calling us to a radical love. How we love one another is how people, will, how people will see God in us. How we approach these conversations, if we'll do it, if we'll have the love to do it. I heard this recently, that if the only time I'm ever getting conflict or correction in my life is from my enemies, from those who hate me, then I must not have any friends. Because friends should come and really love me enough to say, <coughs> excuse me, Alfred, I, I love you. This needs to be addressed. Alfred, this is an issue. Alfred, I care too much and I feel like I've just got to tell you this. I want that in my life. And we need that in each other's lives. Let's have these hard conversations and do them with faith and love. Let's deal with our anger and judgment and get rid of it. Recognizing we only we need God's perspective, not, not our own. Let's remember that this affects our relationship with God too. And let's speak the truth in love. Let's deal with things immediately. And let's be willing to sacrifice, prayerfully leaving the results up to God. And God will move and bring people to Him. He will use us to reach those who are far from him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and just, I'm so grateful for your love. So grateful for your mercy. So grateful that you have loved us and saved us even when we were sinners. Even when we, we mess up and muck it up and goof up. God, give us your love for those who are far from you. And give us your love in our tough situations in our tangles. Give us your love and help us pursue relationships and healing and restoration with your heart and with humility and with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.